You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. I'm going to take you to uh, the book of Romans this morning. And the first of many times we are going to be traveling to the book of Romans. And you can just open to Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to we're going to start uh, this morning. On your way there, I've got a picture from last week, two sides. Uh, Micah drew this, and many did. I just, I, I'm just bringing it up. That's what was shared last week uh, from Vince Lombardi, and we don't need to talk about how the Packers and Vikings and how that went last week or who won or anything. I'm not discussing that, but he, uh, he had told the Packers, gentlemen, this is a football, and then if you go to the next slide, then Micah showed, and, and we talked about this is a church. This is a church, a gathering, the gathering together of believers in Christ. And so we looked at that last week. Um, I don't, I'm not a plug for, for my sermons, but if you want to catch, we went through, if you were not here with us last week, I think it's, George put it up on the podcast or Facebook, you can watch it just so that we're on the same page in terms of our mission of a church. And we looked at that last week and encourage you to go back if you weren't with us, listen to that, that that we're all about what we want to be about here as a church is to exalt and what we just did to sing together, to worship, to delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to exalt the Lord, to build one another up and then go out and evangelize and make disciples of the nations, including the nations that live on our own street corners or workers or friends or schoolmates. So thank you, Micah, for drawing that. And... um, as we get to the book of Romans, many of you, I think, have found, hopefully you've found, if you find them helpful, those Romans journals that have the, the Scripture on one side and a blank page on the other, if that's a way to help you take notes and follow through on these sermons, please help yourself to them, kids and adults. Uh, you're welcome to some of the notebooks. I changed it. I gave you a little kids a little bigger notebook this time. It's got perforated, so hopefully it won't curve. Some of the other ones, this is version 2.0, maybe this will won't curve as much as the last ones, but I love it, kids, when you turn in your pictures and we get to show them and review where we've been in the last week, your, your help in, in those things. And uh, adults, if that notebook helps you or you need one, help yourself. Uh, this morning, as we look through Romans, we're going to be basically, I think I looked in the journal, we're on the first blank page. So if you want to use that blank page, this is kind of a, a general and overview morning for us. We're just looking at I'm going to read here the first seven verses of Romans. We'll look in depth at it next week, but just as a way to begin into this book that we're going to be in for a while. I don't know how long, but uh, it will be a while. So um, we want to get to know and savor what God has for us. So let me read the first seven verses of this book for us. So starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray again. Father, as we begin this study of this monumental book, this monumental letter Paul has written to the church in Rome, the saints there, would you help us? We want to begin in prayer and say, Lord, we are depending on you and your spirit, as Mill prayed, for understanding, for wisdom, that out of the pages of your word, you would shout to us the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his magnificent uh, life, who he is, who he is now interceding for us, the Son of God. And Lord, that through this book, glories would stream to you as we exalt you, as we obey you by faith, as we trust and depend on you. So Lord, we just commit to you this this study as we get into this. Lord, where there are areas that are hard to understand for pastor and hearer, and challenge us in many ways. Lord, help us to press through. And we want to just trust, Lord, that in your providence, here we are in this book at this time in history. So move within each heart here uh, through your word, we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know the last time you actually wrote a letter. Have you actually written, I mean, written a letter to someone using pen and ink? Maybe you've written a thank you card. That's maybe as close as some of us get. I'm not talking about an email, an actual letter. And I don't know how long it's been, but there's something about letters. I know they're, maybe they're out of style for many of us. They're just not that quick. It takes time. But there's something personal to them. When you get a personal letter, there's something to it. Uh, some Christian organizations, I won't say who, I can remember one, they, they like to send out letters that look like the real thing. Do you ever get those in the mail? They're, they're probably one of my pet peeves. So they're just, it looks like the chairman of that ministry wrote it just to you. And you look, and I, I'm always looking. No, they didn't write that. They just copied it off. It's, it's to have that personal look, but to me, they just, they're kind of gimmicky, and I go, just, just type it out. I, I know what's behind this. I know you didn't really write to me. The letter we have in front of us, Romans, is no gimmicky letter. That's not what is before us. It's, it's the opposite of that. This, this is a deep, theological, pastoral, practical letter that Paul has written. It, it's personal even though, we'll, we'll see, it's written to those in Rome, even though per, Paul never personally visited the people there. But it's a personal letter. And it's filled. It's filled with the Gospel. It's filled with the implications of the Gospel for life. It's filled with doctrine. Don't let that D word cause you to, you know, no, not doctrine. Yes, but beautiful doctrine as we look towards the Gospel. Who is Jesus? What has He done for us? The atonement, righteousness, faith, who God is. So it's filled with that, that we would worship God. But it's also filled with application to that doctrine. How do we live out? So again, what's the Gospel? How do we live in light of the Gospel? So I want to look at this letter today as we're kind of just doing this general overview really in three ways. Who is it from? Who's Who's the letter from? That's kind of easy, so, but we'll look at it a little bit. Who's the letter to? That's a little bit more helpful to us as we just think about where is this letter going to? And then 
three, we'll just kind of wrap up. What's, the, what's in the body of the lever? Just a quick zoom over of this before we really, next week, really get in depth. So question one, who wrote this letter? Where is this letter coming from? It's not very hard. The first word of Romans is Paul. And not every letter is so helpful, but this one is. It's Paul. Paul here is described as a servant He's called an apostle. He's set apart for the gospel of God. One writer, Leon Morris, says this. He says, The letter claims to have been written by the apostle Paul, and no serious objection appears ever to have been urged against this claim. And he goes on to say, The style and contents are what we expect of Paul, and the tradition of the church has always accepted this letter as a genuine work of the great apostle. So Paul wrote Romans. But, you ask, what about Tertius? Are you wondering about Tertius? Head to chapter 16 of Romans. We're going to go back and forth here and there, a little bit into Acts, but look at chapter 16, Tertius, and you're going to find this in chapter 16. I want you to head to verse 22. We're going to acknowledge Paul wrote Romans. I don't, maybe, none of us would probably disagree with that. But here we come to verse 22, and there, lo and behold, it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And just so that doesn't throw us and we go, well, the church has got it wrong for all these years, and what happened? Tertius is what scholars, others call an amenuensis. I'm looking at the word to make sure I say it right. An amenuensis. And we don't use that word very often, but in, in essence, Tertius is a writing assistant, helping to write this book. So I can imagine here Paul dictating the letter, maybe walking, whatever, and Tertius is writing down the words here. So there's Tertius writing, that there's Paul really is the author. But pen and ink, I think by Tertius here. And I wonder, I mean, you just, this is just speculation. Just picture, so Paul's not just alone in a room. Maybe we picture him writing letters sometimes, but here's Tertius. And does Tertius ever say to Paul, what, you sure you want to you rephrase that sentence or turn it around? Or Paul sometimes has longer sentences. Maybe you should shorten that. Or you want to say it that way? We, we have no idea. But here's Tertius writing the letter and amenuensis for Paul, the author here, of Romans. So it, it is really from Paul. From this, we want to ask, well, where was Paul? Where was Paul? Where was Paul and Tertius? And, and when were they writing this? And for this, we're going to look again to Acts. We did this in the book of Philippians. And here in the book of Acts, Luke's, Luke gives us some hints to where Paul was. And then scholars can get a date, really, of when he wrote Romans. So I want you to head to Acts 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 21. So we come to Acts 19, verse 21. And Paul here, out of three missionary journeys, he's on his third, his final one. And the story picks up here. Here we meet Paul in Ephesus. This is where he's at. Um, Caleb, we can show that first map on here. There we go. So right now, where we're going to read in Acts, Paul is right here in Ephesus. Let's listen to what he says in Acts 19, verse, verses 21 through 22. 
It says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he stays in Asia here for a while, but then you can kind of trace the solid line as Paul's third missionary journey from Ephesus up towards, here's Macedonia, and then down, and this would be you know, Greece here to Ikea, or Achaia, how did I say it? What did I, I put it in there somewhere. We'll go, let's go with Ikea, Ikea. And, uh, and Corinth there, and you see that. Now, do this. Head to chapter 20, you're in 19, head to Acts chapter 20. Because here, I think we see it in verse, verse 2. So Acts 20, verse 2, through the first part of verse 3. When he had, so we just kind of traced his route here. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And we'll just stop there. He spent three months in Greece. And from what I read, Greece is another name for Achaia. There it is in my notes, Achaia where Corinth was located. If you're confused, here's where we're at. Achaia and Greece or Corinth is the area. And so Paul, I think it's supposed, he spends these three months, someone looks at him and says, uh, or resources, these are winter months, so no travel going on. It's kind of lay low during these winter months, and perhaps that's when Paul sat down to write the book of Romans. So the presumption is Paul wrote to the Romans while he was in Corinth, with uh, Tertius with him, and he's writing, and, and then they seem to date this around A.D. 57. And you might ask, how, how do we make the leap here? I mean, from Acts 20, he spent three months in Greece. How do, you, how do people come up with he was in Corinth, and, and that's where he was writing to the Romans? Well, at the end of Romans, we won't go there, but in Romans 16, there's many greetings, and you can read through that and look at all the greetings. There's a lot of people some of the greetings that he greets those in Rome come from people who lived in and around Corinth. So if you kind of match up the names that are listed there and where they lived, it's in this general area of Corinth. And so that's how they can come up with that. There's another way they come up with the date, and I'm not getting into it, but you can sort that out on your own and figure that out. But around A.D. 57, sometime around there, from Paul. Now let's think about where's it going. It's, it's good to know where do letters go. Who is this going to? Who's the audience? Who did Paul write to? And the answer, again, is pretty straightforward. Head back to the book of Romans. And we find Romans 1, verse 7, Paul addresses the recipients. We've already read it. Who's going to receive this? Verse 7, to all those in Rome. All right, so this makes the... The introductory material, relatively easy in some ways. We're going to sort through a bunch of... Paul's writing it. Where is he writing? To Rome. And it describes them. They're loved by God. They're called to be saints. Paul's writing to Christians in Rome. Now, I've got one more map up here. You can see where Rome is. So, Achaia. It's still on the map. Now it's a little bigger. Here's Corinth, Achaia. Macedonia, Achaia, Corinth, Greece. Here's where the letter's coming to this church in Rome in Italy. All right, so that's where he's heading this to.
But again, we're going to see that Paul's writing to a people, to a church or churches that he never, he never met these people. So we might ask, where does this church in Rome come from? What are its origins? And I, I want to go here because I just think it's interesting textually. I don't think Paul, Paul didn't found the Roman church and nor did Peter. So where did they come from? And one that was really compelling to me, how is it established? One takes us back where? To the book of Acts. So one more time, head to Acts, and this time head to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, in particular verse 10. And we're going to read it in a minute. The context here, we're on that day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. The tongues of fire have rested on all those gathered together, all the believers in Christ. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're, they're speaking in these other tongues. These, these other people from all these nations are listening. They're hearing this. Peter later on in verses 14 through 41, he preaches, he gives the meaning for all of this. He testifies really to the Lordship, the Messiahship of Jesus Christ, and he calls out those, they're cut to the heart, calls them to repentance, and then baptism in the name of Jesus. And it says those called that day were about 3,000 souls. And so among 3,000, they heard the works of God being proclaimed in their own language. So look at verse 10 of Acts chapter 2, and I'll read through 11 as well. Who are these people hearing this? Who are these people hearing this in their own language? And the list is, is long here, but in verse 10 it says, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from, there's our word, Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. It's not hard, I don't think, to imagine these visitors from Rome having heard the gospel and maybe being cut to the heart in it and repenting and believing who now those visitors return back to Rome and say, guys, you've got to hear about this Messiah and this grace and this gospel. And so a church is born. Now, Leon Morris, I've mentioned him, one commentator, he adds this a little more general take. You know, we don't know, is this how it started? These people that were there, can't say for sure. I think, I think it's compelling. He says this, the probability, speaking of the church in Rome, the probability is that traders and other travelers first brought Christianity to Rome. As they witnessed to their faith, they brought others to believe. And in this way, a church was born. It seems likely that the first converts were one from among the Jews, and they may even have been organized as a synagogue or synagogues. This is speculation, but it's supported by a note in the Roman historian Suetonius. We won't cover Suetonius here, but whether it's Pentecost or traitors, travelers, the gospel had come to Rome, and there are saints, and a church is in Rome. And one question comes up as you study this the book of Romans here is Paul, who's he writing to? Yes, church in Rome, but is he, is he primarily writing to a, is this a Jewish audience, Jewish Christians, or is this more a Gentile, the Greeks, the non-Jewish Christians? Both of them, as you read through the book, they're going to be mentioned in this book. Some, I think, would say it's this, some the other. Um, here's some history that I think is just interesting for you. Uh, AD 49, let's go back eight years. So we're thinking Paul's writing this in AD 57. 
Go back to AD 49, the year 49. The emperor at this time is Claudius. Roman emperor, emperor is Claudius. And in that time, he makes an expulsion of the Jews in Rome because what's going on? There's disturbances. And I think there are disturbances between you know, the diehard Jew and the, the Jews that are following Christ. And there's essentially riots going on in Rome of these, this difference. And so Claudius says, you know, out. And he, he expels them from, from Rome. Well, one writer, D.A. Carson, others, says this. As with similar expulsions on other occasions, the edict probably did not stay in force for long. So these, these Jewish Christians, Jews are sent out, probably didn't stay for long. And less than a decade later, we find Aquila and Priscilla back in Rome. They're, they're Jews. They're back in Rome. During its enforcement, however, the edict must have had a profound impact on the church in Rome. Think about the church and all the Jews. You know, they're told, leave Rome. What, what impact on the church? He says this, in the absence of Jewish Christians, <clears throat> those Gentiles who had been attracted to Christianity would have taken over the church. And Jewish Christians who then returned, would probably be in a minority. Remember, if, if the Jewish started it, their synagogues, Jewish Christians, they're expelled. Now the Gentiles take over. The Jews come back, and now they're the minority. Perhaps viewed with some condescension by the now dominant Gentile wing. Now, specific-wise, we don't know for sure. Again, kind of speculation. But I think in the letter itself, we see a mix of both Jew and Gentile, and a call to live with one another. I think that forms some background to this. But what was it like in Rome itself? What, what was it like there in the city? What was it like in the church? And I want to look at this in two ways, thinking about Rome. They're very brief. I'm not a Roman historian. Times like these, I wish I was to give more. But just there's some interesting things about where this letter was coming to of Rome. First, about the church. Again, <clears throat> based on what we've looked at, if it's a mixed audience of Jew and Gentile, both believers in Christ, saints, but these two backgrounds, this audience, I think we can see why there were some issues between the Christians there. Maybe the Gentiles ordered over the Jews, or the Jews said we've got the law and so forth. There's dis disagreement. And it seems like Paul knew the situation there. He knew enough people there that I think they would report back like Aquila and Priscilla and others and say, Paul, do you know what's going on with this church? So he didn't really have to be there physically to know there's some issues going on in the church. And he's going to address some of those uh, in the letter. And yet it's, it's not a strict letter to say, you guys, get your act in shape. You know, get, get yourselves, get what you're doing. Because Paul, in verse 8 of Romans 1, says you've, I've, I've heard of your faith. It's been proclaimed. But like any church, Rome included, it was filled with sinners saved by grace. Sinners who need to once again, they need to hear the Gospel. And then they need to live out their lives under that Gospel. And so Paul's plan is to visit them. He's going to see them. He's going to plan on it. But this letter is the... It's in a sense the gospel going in front of Paul to head to Romans before he ever gets there. He's got to head back and trace over and back to Jerusalem and then he is going to make plans for Rome. Well, 
He does get there eventually, but it's not probably how he imagined traveling there. He comes back as a prisoner. But this letter goes before him. But what about the city that these Christians lived in? What about the city itself of Rome? I read somewhere a city of, I, I think this is at the time, over one million people or one million people in the city of Rome. This big city. The uh, study Bible I use says this. It says, contemporary authors spoke of a severely overcrowded, loud, and smelly city. A place that provided every virtue and vice known to mankind. Think of modern day, what comes to mind? Las Vegas, New York. These places, you got whatever you want. Elsewhere it says... um, Innumerable pagan gods received worship in Rome. Especially impressive temples were dedicated to such ancient gods or goddesses as Mars, Saturn, Castor, and Pulux, Vesta, Venus, and Roma, Apollo, and Jupiter. Indeed, devotion to all the great Roman gods was offered in the monumental domed Pantheon, which stands in Rome to this day. So this is a great... Large city, overcrowded, loud and smelly, and yet with great idolatry and worship of any other God than the God of creation. That's where this letter was going to. Secondly, we're going to come back to this in chapter 2, but the moral situation was not great in Rome as a whole. Tim Challies, he writes of the Roman culture, which I think we can rightly apply to this very city where these Christians lived. He says this, it was a culture of extreme promiscuity and inequality. Those who had power, male citizens, were able to express their sexuality by taking who and what they wanted. Their culture's brand of sexual morality was exemplified in the Caesars who, one after the other, quote, were living icons of immorality and cruelty, using sex as a means of domination and self-gratification. Yet this system, evil as it looks to our eye, was accepted and even celebrated by Rome. It was foundational to Roman culture. To be a good Roman citizen, a man needed to participate in it, or at least not protest against it. To be loyal to Rome, one had to be loyal to the morality of Rome. To the Romans, the biblical view would have been seen as disruptive to the social fabric and demeaning of the Roman ideal of masculinity. What we consider odious and exploitive, they considered necessary and good. And so Chalice goes on to write this. Almost all of the New Testament texts dealing with sexuality were written to Christians living in predominantly Roman cities. One being where we're reading. This Christian ethic did not come to a society that needed only a slight realignment or a society eager to hear its message. No, the Christian ethic clashed harshly with Roman sexual morality. So here in Rome, that's where this letter is coming to, in and around the city live Christians who Paul is writing to. Some with a Jewish background, some with a Gentile background. They're living in a city full of pagan idolatry and worship and sexual immorality. Sound anything familiar to our day? It's just like, you don't have to go far. Hmm, I wonder what 
we, we live in it. And here's a, here's a letter written to people living at this time. It's amazing. Here they were, living in a time similar to ours. The culture around them just seems to celebrate immorality, celebrate the things opposed to God, and that's where Paul writes to them. It's a church dealing with internal divisions, obstacles that way, Jew, Gentile. It's a church that needs to rehearse the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a church that needs to know that nothing's going to separate them from the Savior's love. Romans 8. And by the way, if we, if we date Romans to AD 57, it's, in, it's seven years later in AD, I think it's 64, where Nero, there's a great fire in the city, and Nero says, the Christians did that. And there's persecution. It's a letter seven years before this church would face persecution. I'm looking forward to why we're here. We need this. We need to read this because we need to live in unity, Jew, Gentile, background. We need the gospel. We need this hope in the Lord to know nothing can separate us from His love. So it's a letter worth reading. Speaking of the letter, we haven't even touched on that. It's not noon yet, so a few things. <laughs> um, a few things to touch on. We, this is, this is in a, there's much of me that says what pastor is sufficient to cover all this. There's so much here, and, and part of me, you can pray for me, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to get through Romans and mess, because there is great doctrine and truths here. So read the text for yourself. Be the Bereans. Study, examine it, and I want to help you along to that. But there's a lot of ground. Now, in Romans, there's a lot of questions, which I find this is greatly helpful. I counted them up. I think there's some 82 questions in this book that Paul asks. It's an average of five per chapter, even though some chapters don't have questions in them. It's just quest- If you read it, and I invite you to do so, there's just question after question Paul asks, and then he answers, and I think it's helpful for understanding and know where Paul's going. But let me just do a brief kind of flyby. Here's chapter 1 to 16 in a brief way. So we've already been in Paul's introduction. The first 15 verses all seem to me to be part of this introduction. But in verse 15, you can look at it, Paul says he's eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome. Question, aren't they already saints? Don't they already love God? Don't they already know the gospel? Why is Paul preaching the gospel to them again? Because the gospel extends. It extends beyond simply a prayer I prayed when I was so-and-so and a get-out-of-hell card. It's for life. It's for everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the door of hope and joy and peace and love, security. It's the means to a righteousness, not our own, but that's imputed, Christ's righteousness imputed to us. It sets the one in captive, captive in sin, sets him free to now be captivated by the Lord Jesus. The gospel is also not so much of a thing, but a person, Jesus Christ, God who came in the flesh. And so these Romans, and us included, we need to rehearse this gospel, we need the refreshment daily, 
hourly of what the Gospel is for us. This gracious Gospel and the hope it brings that, again, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. So that's the intro he's going to preach. Now, so, chapters 1 through 5 then, I think, are really just what is the Gospel? Helping to understand what it is. It begins by considering the wrath of God against the ungodly. And before we just say, well, yeah, that's the ungodly, we know there's wrath, then it turns back on, you too, pay attention. You too are deserving of the wrath. So that Paul says, everyone is under sin. All alike, Jew, Gentile, Jew, Greek, everybody's under sin. But then, those in sin by faith, and Paul preaches a righteousness of God revealed through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, the Gospel in 1-5. through five. We get into chapters 6-7. through seven. There's an urging of the believer to walk as one who has been brought from death to life. And the question there, shall we sin that grace abound? And Paul says, that's one question, no. no. Don't live that way. You died to sin, don't live it any longer. So there's the glorious Gospel and then there's the implications of it for living out. Further in chapter 7, we get into chapter 7 and 8, and Paul deals with how do you deal with sin as a believer? He concluding in verse 24 of chapter 7, he says, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Jesus Christ. And so Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 7 and 8. As you get in chapters 9 through 11, now we see more emphasis on the Jew and Gentile. Paul shows his heart for his own people, the Jewish people. He shows the engrafting of the Gentiles to be a people of God. People of God not through the law, but through faith. And then there's in Romans 10.4, I don't know if you're going along, to me, this is the great trucker verse, probably my favorite verse in Rome. One of my favorites in Rome, the 10-4 good buddy. You think of that CB, 10-4 good buddy. That's how you can remember Romans 10-4. This is what it says. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You say, that's, that's good news. So that's uh, 9 through 11. Looking in there, Gentiles, Jewish uh, people. Then you get into Romans uh, 12, 12 through 15. Now it's what, how is life lived in light of God's grace? And it's living life, Romans 12, probably 12, 1 and 2. Many of you present yourselves as a, remember that, living sacrifice. And we see that not being conformed to the world, transformed by the renewal of the mind. And so in these chapters, God's people live out, live out who you are in Christ, live it out personally live it out in the midst of earthly rulers that's that whole submission in chapter 13 and live it out among one another now we've looked here before but i know we're just zooming through chapter 15 uh, verse 5 go there if you're paging through romans 15 5 through 7 here's here's kind of the one another and the culmination of it where paul makes this maybe a prayer maybe a plea here says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus 
that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So as Christ came not to please himself, as Christ has welcomed the sinner, so believers ought to welcome one another for the glory of God. And then the closing, I think it starts at chapter 15, verse 14. And there's a mixture here. Uh, seems like Paul's kind of winding down his letter, even though he's basically got two chapters yet to go. But there's a mix here of appeal and a mix of greeting within this that we'll look at. There's, there's appeal to the Roman church for support. There's an appeal, I think, to be praying for him. There's appeal for the saints in Rome. Be wise to what is good. Be innocent to what is evil. And maybe with the Roman background, we can see how important that is. And then there's many greetings. And again, they, they tell us all these greetings that Paul, though he's not visited the saints in Rome in person, I think knew a lot about them. Come, as we come to the end, come to chapter 16. We did this in Sunday school. We'll do it here too. We'll just read, let's read the last verses of the book. And uh, again, we're not, we're not giving anything away because it will probably be a while until we get here. So, uh, but look at Romans 16, verse 25 through 27. It says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And the letter ends. Do You see that phrase at the end of verse 26? It shows up once again to bring about the obedience of faith. It's hard for me as an you know, writers will say it's hard to just nail one purpose of Paul in this entire book of Rome, Romans, and how do you... But as I read this, I just can't shake this phrase as a purpose statement of Paul, I think even in writing this letter. It shows up in the, in the beginning of the book, verse 5, and then it shows up here at the end of the book. And so that's why I'm going to use that as the, the title of this, The Obedience of Faith, as we look through uh, the book of Romans. Now, the thing about obedience is we might pick up on this word obedience and go, no, 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 I thought Romans was about the gospel. It's about justification, not by works. And you're right. You're absolutely right. And Paul would agree. And yet, this is a phrase Paul used. I didn't come up with it. Paul put it in here, this obedience of faith. I don't think it's some new way to, you know, Here's a way to work towards God. Here's obedience. But the essence of the gospel is faith. The essence is faith in Jesus Christ. It's a faith that looks to the only one whose blood can redeem us and impute a righteousness to us in our sin. And so Paul wants to lead his, his readers here towards Christ. And yet it is, it's a faith that having been justified, it lives out life sanctified. In that way, as a slave to righteousness, there's a sense of that it's obedience as well. Now, there's more here, and I think we'll, we'll have more time next week. We'll dive, because it's in the beginning, we'll look into this more. Uh, this idea of the obedience of faith and to work that out. Not a, don't hear from here, 
Here's a new way to work. Paul's using this. He looks towards faith as primary. Faith in, not just my faith, faith in Jesus Christ. As I close, let me encourage you, even this week, take some time to read through the book of Romans. I I think it's probably going to take you an hour or less, I believe, something like that. Look for some of these themes throughout it. Praise the Lord, we have this book written to this church here in in Rome that in many boats was in many ways was in the same boat as we are. Here's a letter written by Paul to encourage the church in their day, in our day, with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ for a righteousness of God that does not come about by our works. Here's a new way to get righteousness. comes about by gracious faith in Jesus Christ alone. This faith, it's at once, it's a saving faith and it's a faith that lives out as we walk in newness of life. Let me just encourage you this week, look to that object of our faith, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let's pray. Lord, again, we just ask, guide us in our study, guide those that would read through this book as a whole to be edified and built up Lord, keep us on track. Keep us from wandering uh, as we study this. And Father, ignite in us a joyful remembrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your grace that has taken sinners fully deserving of your wrath, fully enemies of you. And by your grace, called us to Jesus Christ that by faith, In Him, we might have newness of life, eternal life, forever. Lord, refresh us in our day as we live amidst a culture of immorality and a culture where things are so upside down. And we live in our own flesh that's upside down. Thank You for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. May it uh, fuel us and may we take joy, great joy in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.